0: Brothers and sisters, we've confessed our sins to God in the name of Christ, and we also now stand in the promises of the gospel, that having done so, we are assured of God's forgiveness and grace towards us because of the sacrifice and resurrection of Christ. Amen. Let's now turn to the Word of God. Our scripture reading begins this morning in Deuteronomy chapter 15. Deuteronomy 15, we'll read verses 1 through 18. At the end of seven years, you shall grant a release. And this is the manner of the release. Every creditor shall release what he has lent to his neighbor. He shall not exact it of his neighbor, his brother, because the the Lord's release has been proclaimed. Of a foreigner you may exact it, but whatever of yours is with your brother, your hand shall release. But there shall be no poor among you, for the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess. If only you will strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do this commandment that I command you today. For the Lord your God will bless you, as he has promised you. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And you shall rule over many nations, but they shall not rule over you. If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care, lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart, and you say, the seventh year, the year of release is near and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother and you give him nothing. And he cried to the Lord against you and you be guilty of sin. You shall give to him freely and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him because for, for, the, because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you... You shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you, he shall serve you six years, and in the seventh year you shall let him go free from you. And when you let him go free from you, you shall not let him go empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally out of your flock, out of your threshing floor, and out of your winepress. As the Lord your God has blessed you, you shall give to him. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore I command you this today. But if he says to you, I will not go out from you, because he loves you and your household, since he is well off with you, then you shall take an awl and put it through his ear into the door, and he shall be your slave forever. And to your female slave you shall do the same. It shall not seem hard to you when you let him go free from you, for at half the cost of a hired worker he has served you 6 years so the Lord God the Lord your God will bless you in all that you do so far from the law of Moses now we'll turn to the New Testament to Luke chapter 6 Luke 6 we'll read verses 27 through 38 As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you can expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good. And lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, Will be put into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. We'll also turn uh, in the same gospel to Luke chapter 16. We'll read just uh, a few verses there Luke 16, verses 1 to 13. He also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, "'What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager.' And the manager said to himself, "'What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg.' I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So far from the Gospel of Luke. And then finally we'll turn to 2 Corinthians The second letter to the Corinthians chapter 9, these are the words of the Apostle Paul as he speaks of the collection for the needy in Jerusalem, 2 Corinthians 9. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluct- reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you, because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So far, the reading of the word of God. Our text this morning is Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Ecclesiastes 11, verses 1 through 6. Ecclesiastes 11, verse 1. The preacher says, As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. So far from Ecclesiastes. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, as we now near the end of our series in Ecclesiastes, uh, you can see that we have these two pictures or these two chapters full of proverbs, and each chapter—chapter chapter ten and eleven—paint uh, for us a picture. We saw last week chapter eleven, which painted, or sorry, chapter ten, uh, which painted for us a picture of folly, folly in all of its various expressions. Well, now in chapter 11, what we have is the opposite picture, a picture of wisdom, and particularly wisdom in light of all that we have learned so far uh, from the preacher's teaching in Ecclesiastes. How does what we have learned about the futility of life or the transience of life, how quickly fleeting it is, the unpredictability of life, Uh, And the sovereign control of God over life, these big themes that have uh, governed Ecclesiastes, how do these things uh, change us? How do they impact the way that we live? And that's what this chapter on wisdom is all about. Now, we might think that if we're going to paint a portrait of wisdom, uh, it would be a very somber portrait marked by caution and reservation. And to be sure, wisdom wisdom does carry some of those features. And yet, what have we found so far as we've pondered wisdom in Ecclesiastes? The preacher has been calling us to a life of thanksgiving, a life of joy. The wise life is the thankful life. Gratitude is the chief mark of wisdom. Remember chapter 8, verse 1, "...a man's wisdom makes his face shine." and the hardness of his face is changed. See, true wisdom does not produce hard faces, grumpy faces, but joyful faces and thankful hearts. And so maybe it shouldn't surprise us now then as we get to this final portrait of wisdom uh, that that it is full of the themes of life, exuberance, gratitude, generosity, and joy. So it starts in verse 1. He says, "'Cast your bread upon the waters.'" for you will find it again after many days. It's quite a strange proposition when you think about it. I'm sure some of the children have had the experience of casting bread before on the waters. Uh, When you're out feeding the ducks, uh, you you toss your bread out, and probably the the last thing you expect to happen is to get your bread back, particularly after many days. Uh, There's something we enjoy about tossing it out, but we don't have the expectation of of getting it back. But that's what the preacher is telling us. Cast your bread out on the waters, and you'll find it again after many days. Now, of course, the preacher is speaking here in in a metaphor, in a picture. And what he's urging us to here is is to throw your life out there. He's urging us to a life of generosity. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Just like throwing bread on the water, it doesn't make a lot of sense at first to be generous, to to, to share, uh, to give away your time, your money your strength, your love, your life. But actually, the preacher says it makes plenty of sense because just like your bread, you cannot keep your life. I'm sure all of you have had the experience at some point of keeping your bread a little bit too long and you pull out that nice blue fuzzy loaf out of the the cupboard. Uh, At that point, you probably wish that you had just thrown it away to the ducks while it was still good. So, you, you can't keep your bread and you can't keep your life. There's no thats That's been the big message of Ecclesiastes, hasn't it? Uh, you, there's nothing you can gain from this life that you get to keep beyond the grave. Nothing, at least in this world. So what can you do? Well, you can throw it out on the waters. You can give your life away. You can love. You can serve. You can give your very self away. And the funny thing is, in God's design... It has a way of coming back to you. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Give your life away, and in the process you might actually discover that you find your life there. Such is God's design then. Life cannot be kept. No amount of uh, effort at keeping your life will succeed. It's chasing after the wind. Life cannot be kept but it can be beautifully spent. And in spending it, we entrust ourselves over to God who alone can reward the spending. Remember the parable of the talents uh, that the Lord Jesus told in Matthew 25? He says the kingdom of God is like a rich man who uh, gave certain talents, certain amount of talents to various individuals, five talents to one, uh, two talents to another, one talent to yet another. And what did each of these servants do? Well, each of them used the talents. They put those talents to work. Uh, they put them to use. And then at the end of the day, when their master came back, they had something to show for, for what they had been given, except for one, right? There was the one who received only one talent and was upset with God because he knew that God was going to come back and demand that talent from him. He knew he couldn't keep it, and so instead of spending it, he buried it. He stored it away in the dirt until his master came back, and then he said, here, here's your talent. I knew you were a harsh master, and so I buried your talent. There, you can have it back now. There's a picture of a, an ungrateful life there. What did the master say? Yes, you're right. You're right. I am a harsh master. And that's why you should have at least done something with the talent that I had given you and not kept it buried away, hidden in the dirt. At least, he says, if you had entrusted it at the very least to the bankers, I would have got interest, gotten interest out of it. And so while the other two servants are rewarded, this man is condemned. Now, That parable, Jesus told that parable in Matthew 25, and and it was a, a reference particularly to the Jewish nation, the people of God, uh, because they had refused over the centuries to invest all of the covenant riches that that they had been given, the the promises of God, the special status that they had that God had given them to invest it in being a blessing to all the nations, what God said to Abraham long before they had buried it away in rabbinical studies and teachings on the law and all sorts of religiosity instead of using it to 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 build a harvest for for God, but the same point could be applied to each one of our lives. Your life is God's gift to you. Hasn't that been the message of Ecclesiastes so far? Your life is God's gift to you. What are you doing with that gift? Are you keeping it for yourself? Are you using it to try and gain something more for yourself? Or are you spending it to His glory out of love, giving yourself away, enjoying His goodness and sharing it with others' a special application to all of us as a church as well. What riches has God entrusted us with? not just financial riches, uh, though God has been very good there too, if we're uh, going to be honest, but even more, what spiritual riches has God given us? His word, the gospel, the covenant promises that we've been given. These are great gifts, wonderful treasures, but they're treasures that are not meant to just be kept. What did Jesus tell us? You're the salt of the earth. That salt is useless if you keep it in the salt shaker. It has to get out there onto the meat and potatoes. It has to get out there into the world. So in the spirit of thanksgiving then, the preacher tells us, cast your bread upon the waters. Give your life away, and you will find it again after many days. Give generously from all that you have uh, to those who have not, to those who cannot uh, also, it, by, by human reason at least, uh, pay you back. So Proverbs 19, verse 17 says as well, whoever is generous to the poor is, is lending to the Lord, and the Lord will repay him for his, his deed. So the Lord Jesus also taught us, we read it earlier in Luke 6, if you lend from those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get the same amount back. But love your enemies and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be, here's the key thing, sons of the Most High. You'll be sons of the Most High. For, Jesus says, he is kind to the ungrateful. He is kind to the evil. So be merciful as your Father is merciful. That's the big idea. Those who are wise, in this portrait of wisdom, those who are wise look like their father. They bear that family resemblance. And what does their father do? He is good. He delights in giving good gifts. And so the wise also delight to give their lives away. And after many days, they're confident uh, by their father's grace, they will find their lives back. It's what, Luke, uh, what, what Jesus says at the end of Luke 6. He says, give and it will be given to you in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So, brothers and sisters, cast your bread upon the waters. Perhaps this is even why in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray, Give us this day, this day, our daily bread, not only because we're daily dependent upon God for our bread, uh, but also because uh, if we're being faithful, that means we've spent the bread that God has given us yesterday. We've used it uh, for his glory and in the service of others. And so the preacher also then says in verse two, he says, give a portion to seven, even to eight, since you do not know what disaster may happen on earth. Now, there's a principle here that's true of investments, right? We say, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Uh, Diversify your investments because you don't know uh, what might happen on on the earth, whether the housing bubble bursts or the stock market uh, collapses or a virus comes along and wreaks havoc. You don't know what might happen uh, on this earth. So we say, spread your investments out. Well, the preacher makes the same point, but not to investing, but rather to giving, uh, he says, give a portion to seven, and yes, even to eight, since you do not know what disaster may happen on earth. Now seven, seven, as you know, is the number of fullness. So uh, giving a portion to seven is giving from all that you have. Give uh, uh, as far as you are, are able. But he says, give a portion to seven, and yes, even to eight. Give not only according to your ability, give beyond your ability. Give yourself completely away. There's a proverb out there in the world that says, life is short and uncertain, so eat dessert first. You heard that one? Well, the preacher here says, life is short and uncertain, so share your dessert while you still can. Give yourself, give your life away. That's what the Lord Jesus also taught us with the parable in in Luke uh, 16, the parable of the unjust steward. Uh, The first time you read that, you think, "Well, this is a strange parable, isn't it? Jesus here is commending a cheat. He's commending someone who abuses his master's money for his own personal gain. Uh, But the point of the parable is, this is you. This is you, and God is your master, and these are the gifts that your master has entrusted to you. Your life on this earth, the treasures that you have in this world, they're not yours to keep. You have them for a very limited time. What will you do with them? Jesus, com- uh, Jesus, what he commends to us is, give your life away. Give what you have while you still have it because you can't keep it. That's what the missionary Jim Elliott said as he set out uh, for Ecuador where he would eventually be uh, killed by, by uh, a tribe that lived in the jungle. Uh, he said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You can keep all your time to yourself if you want. You can keep all your energy and strength for yourself, all your money for yourself, and then lose it in the end anyways. Or you can generously give it away and by God's design, God's promise and assurance to you is you will find it back and then some after many days. After you've poured yourself out uh, for others, you will find your life uh, there And some of you elderly parents are experiencing this very thing uh, right now as you've given your time, given your years uh, to to your children, uh, the endless, countless diapers uh, that you've had to change over the many years, giving yourself away. uh, And now you're being lovingly tended to by those very same children. At least I hope it is that way. That is God's design. Cast your bread out and you'll find it again after many days. It's really building off then of what we've heard already from Ecclesiastes before. Some will give their life to chasing after the wind, chasing greed, envy, and power. And they will ultimately find themselves at the end of the road with nothing. So chapter 2 is all these dead-end roads that lead nowhere. Others, too, will seek to hoard their life. We saw the miser in in chapter 4. The miser who hoards all his wealth. He lives like one who is poor, but he has tons of money, but he keeps it all for himself. And in the end, he, too, will lose it. And the preacher says that's a grievous evil. It's a waste of a life. But the wise understand that we can take nothing out of this world, and so there's no sense in keeping it. So we give all that we have, our time, our strength, our resources, our love—we give ourselves away. Makes perfect sense, considered in the light of eternity. You think too of how the Apostle Paul uh, commended the churches in Macedonia uh, in, in Second in Corinthians eight. He says, "In a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty." Think about those two factors together, and what, what would that recipe lead to? Abundance of joy and extreme poverty. It's an interesting recipe. What would that produce? He says, Their their abundance of joy and extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means and, as I can testify, beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in in the relief of the saints. There's giving a portion to seven and then even to eight beyond their means even though they were were in in a severe test of affliction and poverty yet they gave abundantly and we read earlier from second corinthians 9 where paul uh, then teaches us he says the point is this whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. He's able to make all grace abound to you. What's that sound like? That sounds like your bread returning to you uh, after many days. Uh, So that he says, having sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. You hear that? God is able to make your grace abound. That sounds like a generous father. Sounds like a good God. So that having sufficiency in all things at all times, you might abound in every good work. That sounds like a child of that heavenly father. God's grace abounds to you so that you would in turn abound in all good works. Uh, Paul also here quotes from Psalm 112. Uh, We'll sing from that psalm later. Uh, Psalm 112 speaks of, the righteous man. Here's another picture, another portrait of the righteous man, the one who fears God. Uh, and, and among the other things he says, he says, this man has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now hear that phrase, his righteousness endures forever. And we, we, our minds think, well, we must be talking about God here. Uh, God's righteousness endures forever. But he's not. He's talking about the righteous man, the one who has given Uh, The one who fears God, therefore, distributes freely, and as a consequence, his righteousness endures forever. Uh, So says Paul, he who supplies seed to the sower. Who's that? That is God. And he who supplies bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched, he says, in every way, and then in order to be even more generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. And there, that, that, that's really what it's all about. The wise man who understands that this life is a gift from God gives it away generously, and by so doing, produces the the most important harvest of all a harvest of righteousness and a harvest of thanksgiving to God. He says, That's what my life will be about, uh, leading to a harvest of thanksgiving to God, that other people, as I bless them and serve them, will give their thanks to God. It makes sense. And so then we have to ask ourselves, do you live this way? Do you live this way? Parents, do you raise your children like this? As a generous father or mother, as your heavenly father is generous. Husbands, do you love your wives like this? Giving and giving and giving with a generous heart. Christian, do you love your neighbor this way? Giving, giving with a generous heart. In the second place, then, we won't spend all our time on the first two verses. Uh, The preacher goes on to say, then, uh, verses 3 and 4, If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not keep. There's two parts uh, uh, to to what he's saying here. Uh, but, But the point of both verses is, Do not wait for ideal conditions. Do not wait for ideal conditions. Now, the gist of verse 3 is, don't let the fear of the inevitable paralyze you and keep you from living. If the clouds are full of rain, guess what? It's probably going to rain. Don't sit there waiting and worrying for the rain to come. No amount of worrying, no amount of checking the app, Uh, to to see if maybe the forecast has changed, uh, is going to change the fact that it's going to rain. So go out and get an umbrella. If you can do something about it, then do it. But if you can't, don't let the fear of the inevitable paralyze you. The wise life uh, is an exuberant life. It gets out there. It says, this is the season God has given me. This is the time I am placed in. And so this is the moment when I will live is what the Lord Jesus also said? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? No one. In fact, all the evidence suggests that you will shorten your life uh, by anxiety. Uh, not to mention the real tragedy that you will waste your life by your anxiety. Also, he says if a tree falls to the south or to the north, wherever it falls, there it will lie. That, that has to be That has to be one of the most obvious verses in Scripture. Wherever the tree falls, there it shall lie. And yet the point is, there it has fallen, so stop asking yourself the what-ifs and the if-onlys. If it fell to the south, that's where it fell. And there's no point to wondering and wishing, what would life be like had it fallen to the north? It didn't fall that way, so don't worry about that. Here's where a God-centered perspective on our life is so much richer uh, than the man-centered, man-in-control perspective uh, that reigns in our culture. Uh, While we accept that man has responsibilities, uh, we recognize at the end of the day, God rules sovereignly over it all. And so there's no use obsessing over what might have been done, what what we might have done to make things differently, uh, different. Uh, the, the, if only I hadn't sent that text message, then uh, they wouldn't have picked up their phone and got into a car accident uh, kind of worry. That is beyond your control. Uh, if, if, only, if, if only I had looked into those chest pains earlier, uh, then they might still be alive. Uh, if only I had encouraged her to get a mammogram, uh, then, then she might have been saved. What we miss is that behind this mist, this fog that we live in uh, this unpredictable, uncontrollable life. There is the sovereign work of God. Uh, Your your loved one was called home to God uh, exactly the moment they were supposed to be. That's the God-centered perspective. Uh, Verse 5, As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. And nor then is there any point to complaining when those hard times come. I can't believe the tree fell to the south. Well, it did. Don't just stare at the fallen tree. Carry on with your life. And so many people live their lives so preoccupied with what has happened, with the the cards they've been dealt or the circumstances uh, they're in, uh, that it becomes for them an excuse not to live. Well, this is the life that God has given you. Uh, for, for, for these people, it, it's always someone else's fault that I'm not living. I would live, but you know the system's not fair. Uh, I would serve in the church, but the church has, has failed me. Uh, I would rather complain about what others have done or failed to do than go and live my life as God has given it. Uh, so we, we stare at that tree saying, Oh well, I guess it fell to the south. Nothing I can do about it, there there it will lie. That's not the the life to which uh, God calls us in wisdom. Verse 4 then picks up on that very point. He says, He therefore who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. Now, that's an overstatement, of course, because uh, as you farmers know, you, you ought to observe the wind and, and, and watch the clouds. You ought to pay attention to the weather. Uh, but you farmers also understand the problem that, that he is presenting us. There's a certain gamble that takes place every year. When do you plant your crops? When do you harvest your crops? Uh, the growing season is, is short, Uh, In that day, too, then, uh, fields were sown by hand. You'd walk through the field throwing the seed on the ground. uh, And if the wind picks up right after you've sown the seed, the wind will take all those seeds and blow them away. Uh, And so he who waits to plant his crop until the perfect opportunity when there's certainty of no wind is never going to go out and plant his crop because there's always the possibility of wind. And we have a similar problem in our in our climate where uh, you're watching the frost you know, if you wait to plant your crop until there's zero percent chance of frost you're not going to have enough time left to grow your crop you have to take the risk so also he who observes the clouds will not reap uh, if you're worried about the rain uh, and and that rain that fear paralyzes you from going out and saying you know what I'm, I'm just going to go and, and harvest this crop uh then you're never going to get get the crop. Eventually, you have to just get out there and do it. This is building then on what we've really learned from Ecclesiastes earlier, uh, that that we are not in control of the seasons of our life. That's a call that's above our pay grade. That's a call that God alone gets to make. If you're unable to accept that, you won't be able to live. If you cannot, after, after having done all the reasonable calculus You can do, uh, if you cannot, uh, then get out there and take a chance. Then you're not going to have a crop, and you're not going to have a harvest, and you're not going to live your life. Life is a gift from God, and the only way to live it is by entrusting yourself to Him day by day, trusting that uh, He will make of it what He will in His time, in His way. Uh, Get out there then. Take risks. Seize the moment. This is not a dress rehearsal. This is life, and, and this, is, this is life on this earth uh, in the seasons that God has given it. Don't spend your life waiting for ideal conditions because those perfect conditions will probably never come. Uh, live your life today. Fathers, if you, uh, if you know that you haven't been discipling your children as you ought, Uh, you wish that you could overcome the maybe the awkwardness now of stepping in uh, at this season in your child's life and becoming the father you wish you were uh, to start praying uh, with them, to start teaching them, Uh, the perfect opportunity is not going to come later. It's here in front of you today. Uh, Husbands, uh, if you wish that uh, you could... Uh, that, that you were closer with your wife, that you that you would tell her more often how much you love her, that you would tell her how, how beautiful she is. Uh, the time's not coming later. The time is right here in front of you today. Uh, don't put it off. Don't wait. Do it now. Do you brothers and sisters wish that you could be uh, m- closer with your neighbors, that you would develop more of a meaningful relationship uh, with, with your neighbors, inviting them into your life, uh, uh, getting into their life, but you keep putting it off, waiting for that ideal moment, it's probably not going to come. A better time is not coming. Do it today. Brothers and sisters, you have sins that you've committed, that you've buried for for 20 years or more, hoping that the day will come when you'll finally confess it and be free. That time's probably not coming unless it is today. You keep putting it off, uh, waiting. Uh, It probably won't ever happen. Do it today. Understand, then, the larger point uh, that the preacher is making here, this life is God's gift to you, to be spent in love and generosity, to to be poured out and lived today in the seasons that God has actually given you. And you can do that in joy when you accept that God is God and I'm not. God's going to control the seasons of my life and I'm not. Uh, And as a result... uh, he will give reward to my labor if I pour myself out in that labor today. And So again then, verse 5, uh, As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. The word make there can also mean does. The, the work of God who does everything. The God who's sovereign. You don't know what He's doing. Uh, therefore, also then verse 6, uh, and this is our last point uh, that flows from from what we've just said, says in verse 6, In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. When he speaks of the morning and evening here. Uh, this is the morning and evening of our lives. Uh, the beginning, the youth of our life and and the old age of our life, because you do not know the work of God, uh, you do not know which portion of your life God will bless that God will use, therefore, never retire don 't enter your rest until you 've entered your rest and you can rest in peace uh, under your gravestone uh, as you uh, in your spirit go to be with God to your eternal rest don 't rest prematurely. Never retire. For all you know, God might use this season, if it's the last season in your life, God might use this season the most productively, the most impactfully, the most powerfully to His glory. As long as God has given you seed to sow, go out there and sow it. Those of you who are retired then, do not let your hands be idle. The idea of of retirement as we know of it in our culture uh, where you spend the rest of your years from 65 onwards or if you're lucky even earlier uh, onwards uh, collecting seashells in Florida and and living a life of idleness as you drain your savings and and your pension uh, is totally foreign to scripture uh, and to God's design. Now, you might retire from your job, but God has not called you yet to your eternal rest. You haven't finished running the race. You haven't finished fighting the good fight. There's work to be done, so put your hand to the plow. Now, be productive. As you grow older, the work may, may need to slow down, your, your resting in between may need to increase, but the nature of the work uh, and the nature of the work may change, but it ought not to stop until the day that God calls you home. work every day in the strength that God supplies. Continue, uh, you older parents and grandparents, continue to disciple your children and your grandchildren with the wisdom that God supplies. Let your light shine before men. Get to know and learn and love your neighbors uh, or other strangers that God places uh, into your life so that you may share your faith and help them to know Him as as you also do. And young people, remember this book is written for young people. Let me plead with you, young people, do not fall for the attraction of an early and long retirement where you get to spend the last 25 years of your life living for yourself instead of giving yourself away for others. It's tragic how many men and women of our parents' generation or our grandparents' generation have fallen for that lie. Uh, Plan to spend your life Serving and giving and and, and put that plan into action by making that part of your life today. Serving and giving, not merely receiving. Believe Jesus' words that it is more blessed to give than to receive because those words are true. And retirees, remember that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Put your hand back to the plow with the strength that God supplies. Invest in your children and your grandchildren, not only your own children and grandchildren, but the children of the church. Cultivate spiritual children, which in Scripture are far more important than than biological children. Let the older women teach the younger women, Paul says in Titus 2 verse 3, and the older men teach the younger men. As you do not know the work of God who does everything, so you do not know what season of your life is going to be the most productive and the most used by God. Let your hands not be idle then. So there you have it, a picture, a portrait of wisdom in these first six verses. Live generously. Do not wait for ideal conditions and never retire. Let's make sure we understand how this this portrait of wisdom uh, is not only uh, built upon, but also flows out of uh, the gospel. The big idea here is that since life is a gift from God, and since we've come to terms with the fact that God is God and we are are not, uh, and we for all of our striving cannot do what God alone does, therefore, it's for that reason the preacher urges us, receive your life as a gift from God and live it under the grace and favor of God. This will become even more evident in the next chapter where uh, the the preacher specifically speaks to to young people. Uh, He tells them even, rejoice, follow your heart, uh, so you can look forward to that. Uh, But then he also says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. That kind of sound advice for life can only be received by those who know God's favor from their youth, who know God's favor by faith. In the Old Testament, that gospel was preached under shadows and ceremonies. People came to the big bronze altar before the, uh, before the temple and they saw sheep and, and cattle sacrificed there for their sins. But they understood the point. I live under the favor of God because of the blood of the Lamb of God. And that's the message of the gospel for us as well. You live joyfully, gratefully, abundantly, overflowing under the favor and love of God because of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's the only way to live the full and rich and overflowing life. Uh, The gospel message for us then is is the very same and leads to the very same conclusions. Uh, The world is uh, condemned... Because it's consumed with all the evil that we've seen so far in Ecclesiastes. Chasing after the wind. Making idols out of those things that are not God. As long as you are at war with God, you you will not tolerate a life that's under His control. And so you've got to make something out of this life for yourself. Because you're living for yourself. But it's an illusion. It's futile. It's what the preacher has been telling us. It's chasing after the wind. It is mist. It's idolatry. It's vapor. And so what the preacher is calling us to do is the same for us today as Christians as it was for them in the Old Testament. Put your trust in God. If you need to get right with God, surrender your life now to God by the blood of the Lamb and get right with Him. And then when you do, you have the joy of living a life that's, that's lived under His favor. where well, you're not living for yourself you're living for Him. We're at peace with, with knowing that He's God and His plan is good, though I don't know what that plan might entail for me. Uh, that He will hold on to me. Uh, that He who brought me into this world uh, will also lead me when it comes my time, will lead me out of this world. Psalm 121, He is your keeper, your shade at your right hand. He will keep your life. He will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And brothers and sisters, do you know that comfort? Have you surrendered your life to the sovereign control of that God? Have you received the gift of righteousness that He gives you in Jesus Christ from which you get to live the thankful, joyful life? Those who can, they know how to rejoice. They know how to cast their bread upon the waters, confident that He holds their life securely. He'll give it back in His way, in His time. And for us in the New Testament, the many days, says you, you get your bread back after many days, those many days are already past. Uh, for them, they, they thought of many days as they wait for the, for the Messiah to come. Uh, for us, the many days are past, and we get to say with Paul, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I go to be with Christ my Savior immediately after this life. Amen.